Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for um watching over us throughout this day. May you help us to be able to um open our hearts and minds to listen to your word and you speak to us and help us to learn from you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, uh let's continue with where we stopped off last week. Uh we're gonna first read through uh, John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47, again, and then we are going to focus uh, and look into verses 37 and 38, um, and focus in and zoom in to focus in about how Jesus speaks about the Father, and how um, he calls upon the Father as a testimony for himself. So we have looked a bit at previously on John the Baptist, after that we have looked a bit at the works of Christ, and now we are going to look at the Father himself more directly and more in details today. So as we together, John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You send to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. It was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his, in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very work that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So we shall read through verses 37 and 38 today, and we're going to zoom in to look on this aspect of Jesus calling, uh, calling the Father as a testimony for him. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, at first we have uh, we have the emphasis was placed on the works of Christ, the work that has been given by God the Father uh, before this. And now we're going to look more importantly and more into details about the Father Himself. As mentioned before previously, when we will look into the, uh, into verse 31 when Jesus was talking about the testimony. In verse 32, he talks about another who bears witness about him. As mentioned before, 
most people would interpret this as the God, the Father, as the greatest testimony of the tree. And so he's giving that account right here in verse 37. Now, God is willing to bear witness about Christ himself. It is not just about writing in the Old Testament about how the Old Testament have prophesied about Christ, how the Old Testament was speaking about Christ, how the Old Testament was pointing towards Christ. Yes, those things are present in the Old Testament. But what is interesting here is that the Father himself did bear witness about Christ before this in a very physical manner, in a manner that everyone should know. Remember that John, the book of John was one of the latest gospel to be written. All the previous gospel has been written before this. And all the, and all the ideas of John himself comes and hinges upon certain understanding of the previous gospels itself. Now, if you were to look into Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, this is a familiar passage to most of, uh, to most of us here. Uh, this was during the baptism of Jesus himself. When we come to verse 17, it talks about, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved and son with whom I am well pleased. There was a pronouncement of God to, about Christ at this point. There was a very explicit understanding that God has spoken these things already. And then when we look, into, uh, look further into Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, we look at the transfiguration of Christ himself. And the same thing occurred again. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Uh, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. It's the same words. My, uh, listen to him. And so when we go back to John chapter 5, uh, we go back to John chapter 5, verses 37. We can understand that. You see, God the Father has borne witness about Christ before. But this is the Son, my more please. God made that pronouncement about Christ already, very explicitly, my say, about Christ in the New Testament itself during this time. And the baptism of Jesus was before this incident. So the Jews themselves might have heard it, or they might have heard testimony about people speaking of this incident. But I do not think they are, they are unaware about this whole incident, about what happened to Christ. Now, so the Jews would recognize and would have this kind of concept about Christ, first of all, that, he, that the Father himself bears witness for him. See, so this is the first point that we might want to think through about also, about how God the Father bears witness towards Christ, the way that God treats Christ. You see, those whom God sends, he will bear witness of. Where he has given commission, he will not fail to seal it. He had never left himself without witness. This is taken from Acts chapter 14, verse 17. He will never leave any of his servant's soul who go upon his errand. You see, the way Jesus and God's, the Father interaction shown here is very similar to our interaction with God the Father for ourselves. See, when Christ bears witness, when Christ was commissioned to do this work for God, God was there bearing witness for him. God take care of him in that sense. And so when we are out there preaching the gospel and when we are out there witnessing for Christ himself, for God also, he 
watches over us. He watches over us as just how as he has watched over Christ. He will bear witness for him. And in a very similar manner, he will bear witness for us also. It, also, it is also very interesting about how God himself, when he demands a belief, he will not fail to give sufficient evidence and he has done so concerning Christ. You see, when the Jews came seeking for Jesus, when the Jews came asking questions about who this Christ was, God, in a way, provided them with evidence, provided them with proof, provided them with basis of their belief. I have very well said that Jesus is God. Jesus Christ self-proclaimed to be God because he is God and we have been done with. But you see, God himself was willing to play by the human rules per se, the human standard to bear witness. Because the human standard is that if there is no other witness, well, the testimony cannot be true, as mentioned in verse 32. And so Jesus himself gave not just one, not just two, but three witnesses for who he is. And he brings the greatest witness to show forth to them. When God demands belief of man, he gives us evidence concerning this belief. Now concerning this, he has himself given us full satisfaction that he was the fittest to do so, declaring himself well pleased in him. If it will be so, the work is done. That God himself is well pleased with the Son. And so all our sins are taken care of. He is pleased with the Son. He looks through the Son and looks upon us. He is pleased with us in that way, through the Son. Now, this is something that is rather interesting as we look further on to verse 37. If it's su- uh, some may suggest that if God himself has passed on witness about Christ, which is explicit in verse 37, how come it did not come to pass that he was not universally received by the Jewish nation and by their rulers? Now, this is a very interesting question that some people raise. Yes, God the Father explicitly bore witness about Christ the Son. But why were some people still in denial and why were some people still in disbelief? See, when we look into the second part of verse 37, this gives us an understanding of why this has happened. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. To this Christ answers, it's quite strange. It's quite interesting. Why did Christ answer this uh, in this manner? Well, first of all, he was because they were not acquainted with such extraordinary revelations of God and his will. They did not see God they did not know his form, and they never heard of him before. This is a very great charge towards the Jews themselves. As mentioned before, right now in this context of this conversation that Jesus is having, the people of whom Jesus is talking to was Jews. They would have heard about God. They would have heard about the form of God. They are descendants of people who have seen the form of God. And, certain, and they are definitely descendants of people who have heard the voice of God. But yet, his voice you have never heard. And that is a rightful charge against them. His voice they have never heard. 
is formed, they have never seen. They know nothing about God in that sense. They show themselves to be as ignorant of God, though they pronounce a relationship between them and God. As, as we are all of men, neither saw or heard. But why do I talk to you of God bearing witness about me? This is uh, in that sense, uh, as Jesus speaking, is one you know nothing of, nor have acquaintance of commitment with. It's a charge against him. Why are you speaking about God the Father as though you know him? Now, this is the charge that Jesus is bringing across to the Jews directly at them, questioning them about their Jewish belief, questioning them about the basis of everything they have, they have been talking about, the law that they have set in place, the acts that they have been carrying out. Do they know the Father? Ignorance of God is the true reason of man rejecting the record he has given concerning his son. A right understanding of natural religion will discover us such admirable congruities uh, in the Christian religions and will greatly dispose our mind to entertain it. You see, if they could have understand the very nature of who Christ is or what Christ has came to do, they would have not been so disrespectful towards Christ and not brush Christ off in such a manner. They did not understand who Christ is, as that was the later charge that Christ bring across to them. But right now, the charge that Christ bring across them is that they do not know how God works. They pretended that they know God. In fact, they pretended and acted upon their own understanding of God, calling them, making themselves God in that way. And now they say, and now Christ is correcting them and saying that no, they know nothing about God. They do not know the heart of God. They do not know the voice of God. They do not know the form of God. And this is also quite interesting because the Father bore witness about the voice. See, some of them might have heard the voice whereas mentioned in Matthew during the baptism of Jesus. And some of them might have seen a form, you know, maybe of a dove, of a dove coming upon Christ. Why does it say here that his voice they did not hear, his form they did not see? Form, of course, well, it's easy to understand. How do we see the form of God? We don't really do that. But we see God through Christ. How do we hear the voice of God? We hear the voice through Christ. And so what Christ is saying here is not so much about them being not, they did not really, they really didn't hear it or they really didn't see it. They just did not perceive it. They did not understand it. They took it as though Christ was lying. They took all the words of Christ as nothing. They are without excuse. They actually heard it. They actually seen it. But they choose to not see it. They choose to be ignorant about it. They choose to not have heard it. So this is something that is rather interesting here when we look at verse 37 itself. The charge that Christ brings across to them is not so much about that very act of seeing, that very act of hearing and whatnot. But it's more on the fact that they did see, they did hear but they choose to ignore it. 
they choose to pretend as though they do not see, they choose to pretend as though they do not hear about such things. See, all these things came to them that they might hear the voice, that they may see the appearance, but they choose not to do so. And even that, if you were to, if they had paid attention, paid close attention to what John the Baptist was saying in the wilderness, they would have been able to see it, they would have been able to hear it. They would have understand everything that Jesus was trying to bring across to them if they have paid close attention to the ambassador of Christ, to the first person that was laying the to the sorry, to the person that was laying the pathway for Christ way back in John chapter one. And they came to seek John out in the first place. The next thing uh, that we see uh, is verse 38. Now, verse 38, it also goes on to explain about the previous question. You know, if the father born witness about Christ, why is it not universally accepted as the nation of the Jews and the nation of Gentiles just accept Christ universally and say that he's king, he's Lord? Now, verse 38 talks about this. Uh, you do not have his word abiding in you, or you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, they were not affected by what the ordinary ways by which God has revealed himself to them. And the ordinary means is the word. They had the scriptures of the Old Testament. But they not by them understand the coming of Christ. They themselves had the influence of the Old Testament since young. They themselves have known the Old Testament since young. But yet, why did they not perceive what Christ was about to do? They have all kinds of dispensations since the start of the Old Testament. You know, they have everything from what was spoken about in Adam to the incarnation of Christ, all the things that happened in between, all, all, the, all the things that happened to the Israel, the nation of Israel amount the slaveries that they have gone through, the tough times they have gone through because of the punishment of the Lord, the joys that the Lord has given to them, the land that the Lord has given to them, the safety the Lord has provided for them. All these things the Jews would have known. But yet the charge here is that they do not have his word abiding in them. You see, first, first thing that we know about this whole reading as we read through uh, verse 38, the word of God was not in them. The word was not abiding in you. But what is interesting is that the word itself is among them. It is not in them in itself, but it is among them. It is not in their heart. It is not ruling their souls, but only shining in their eyes and sounding in their ears. They do not take heed of this. They do not grasp this opportunity to receive Christ. If they had, they would have readily have embraced Christ already if they have understood everything that was spoken in the Old Testament of in the first place. See, Christ was among them. Their eyes were still shut. They see. They did not see the shining of the Lamb. Christ was shining. Definitely, Christ was shining. Christ was showing himself to them. 
They are called the Son of Christ. But they themselves are blind, they themselves are deaf. They do not see this light, neither do they hear of his voice. It did not abide. Now, this is the word that is we need to focus on. They did not abide in, in him, in them. Uh, they did not abide the word in them. You see, many people have the word of God coming into them and making some impression for a while, but it does not abide in them. It's not constantly in them as a man at home, but only for a while, now and then. You know, just as how a tourist goes to a certain country, they don't settle there. They go there, they live in a hotel for a few days after they just move away. This is a bit similar to the way God's word works in a lot of people's heart. It goes in, just makes a few turns, and it goes out. It does not abide there. It does not stay there. You see, this is how non-Christian will treat the word of God. It does not dwell in them. They do not think about it. They do not meditate about it. They have nothing to do with it. And they hear it, and then they just treat it as all other forms of you know, speeches, of words, just plain words. After a while, they forget. It doesn't abide in them, doesn't stay with them. It just goes one round and gets out. If the word abide in us, if we converse with it by frequent meditation, consult with it upon every occasion, and conform to it in our conversation, we shall then readily receive the witness of the Father concerning Christ. You see, verse 38 and verse 37, the focus has always been that. The Father who sent me himself has bore witness about me. His why you have never heard, his forms you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding. Do we then have the do we then have the witness of God the Father in us? And to the extent of that question, it ultimately boils down to this: Do we have the word of God abiding in us? You know, as Christians, I think it's not wrong to seek for certain um, so-called evidence of God to help us to strengthen our faith. You know, I think it's fine. The very issue of modern day Christianity for most of us is that we do not have the word of God abiding in us. You know, how does that look like then if we talk about the words of God uh, abiding in us? First of all, the very simple act of meditating upon the word of God, reading the word of God, thinking about the word of God, having the word of God hidden in us. You know, this is like, how we do many studies in the world also, you know, how do you have something abiding with you? Uh, you know, you don't lose this understanding of plus, minus, you know, basic mathematics. You don't forget about them. They are so-called abiding in you, lifelong. You spend time with them. You spend time doing your exercise. You spend time, you spend so long, so much time doing your math exercise, preparing for examinations. After a while, it just stays in you. It becomes a part of you. You know, right now, if I give you a mathematical question, how, how do you do one plus one? You can instantly tell me the answer. Why? Because you have been doing it since young. You follow your years all the way to secondary school. You are still doing it. You cannot lose that very basic formula of one plus one equals to two. 
it's, it's quite impossible. It stays with you. In a very similar manner to the word of God, it also is the same. It, it's the, same. the more you do it, the more you practice it, the more you live it out, the more it abides in you. Of course, you have to understand it first. I think that's a fair thing. You have to understand it. You have to think about it. And the next level, you have to converse with it. You have to meditate on the word of God. You have to think about the word of God day and night. So that it sticks with you. So that it stays in you throughout your days on this earth. Next thing, you know, we talk about living it out as a Christian. We talk about living the word of God. We talk about practicing the word of God. How does that look like? You know, during the sermon, during sessions such as this, we always talk about this. How do we live as a Christian? How do we live as a Christ follower? Abiding in the word of God. Do we listen? Do we read? Do we understand? Do we live out as a Christian? You know, there's so many things in the scriptures that we can learn from. But are we living them out after learning about them? You see, do we seek, uh, do we consult it upon every occasion? Every life decision that we have made, are we making it on the basis of scripture? Are we ba- uh, making these decisions on what the Bible teaches us to do? Yes, there are certain Christian liberty that we have. You know, we can do certain things uh, apart in that sense because it's not clearly mentioned in the scriptures. But, all these things that we do have a very basic standard found in scriptures. For example, the other time when we were talking about whether infants are safe, whether unborn children are safe, the answer is not very clear. But the basis of the conclusion that you derive must be based in scriptures. And so, more about your life decisions. Yes, the Bible is not clear. You know, it doesn't tell you which specific school you should go, which specific job you should take. But are the basis found in the scriptures? There are certain there are certain limits that are written in scriptures. You know, the very crude example is that is that a job that you do, you know, you cannot lie, you cannot steal. Is a is a uh, what do you call it, a phone, phone scam, an explicit wrong thing within the scripture? No. It, nowhere in the scripture says you should not be a phone scammer. But, you should not lie. You should not steal. You should not covet your neighbors. All these are principles of scriptures. Do you consult them as a Christian? Do you confirm with them as a Christian? Do you accept them as truth? And then you live it out. No matter how much you dislike it, which you will, you still live it out as a Christian. And the last charge that Jesus bring across to the Jews themselves, you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. See, this is scary. This is a charge that Jesus brought across to not just the Jews, but all mankind. They have neglected the one whom the Father has sent, which is Christ himself. They have despised him and they have neglected him. We as Christians, often of times, has neglected him also. Not to, of course, the extent that we lose our salvation. But often of times in our own lives, you know, 
sometimes I don't like that kind of phrasing where people say, think about what Jesus would do in this situation. I don't really like that phrasing. But in some way, it is correct. Because the principle is there. They believe in the Son, they believe in Jesus Christ, and every action that they do, every decision that they make, it should be Christ-like. It should be in accordance to the one whom the Father has sent. And so, what should be kept in our mind throughout our days living on this earth? That are we thinking about Christ? You know, this art, certain print, this kind of principle is not wrong per se, it is weird, I find it, but there's certain truth in it. You know, before you make every action, what, how would Christ react if he's standing beside you? If you make every decision, would Christ agree with you on that decision? These are certain things that we need to keep in mind if we really believe in the one whom he has sent to teach us, then we should follow him. We should follow him because he is the ambassador of God. He is representing God. In fact, he is God. So why are we not following him? Why say that we believe him but we do not live out that belief in him? So, this is something that is rather interesting here. That I find when we look at verse 37 to verse 38 itself, it almost in a way zooms in or it backtracks a bit in a sense, you know, for the word for the Father to bear witness, you must believe, you must have the word abiding in you, then you will hear the voice and then you will see the forms of God. So this is the one reminder that I really want us to go back and think about more. I believe all of us here have said that we believe in the Son of God. We believe the one whom He has sent. But what is more important at this moment for every one of us, as I believe, <coughs> is the question that we need to ask ourselves. Does God's word abide in us? And how does it abide? I feel that this is a question that I want us to go back and think about. How many areas does God's word abide in us? And how many areas is God's word not abiding in us as of this moment? Because I believe Many areas of our lives, God's word does not abide in us yet. So go back and think about this. Go back and think about what kind of things can I do to ensure that the word of God abides in me, in my daily life, in my daily decisions, in my future decisions to come. So I'll end us off here today with that. I hope that all of us can go back and continue thinking through these things um, before you guys go to bed. And... Also, I understand that you guys are having a little break now. So, all the best for your exams also. Uh, so, can I have Angie to close us in prayer before we end? Um, yeah, Heavenly Father, I give thanks to you for like, um, this time that you allow us to learn your word. Uh, we pray that we'll apply what we learn into our daily lives and that we're able to glorify you in everything we do. In just we pray, Amen. <laughs>